All right, we're in John. Just so you know, so next week we're taking a pause in John and we're starting the new series called Countercultural Convictions. We're going to talk about just the things in culture that the church has to have A, a conviction on and B, a posture towards as we navigate this world. So just so you know, next week as we show up, we're going to be out of John and it's going to be sort of a topical series for six weeks talking about gender and sexuality and generosity and money and all the things that kind of culture has opinions about, but the the church has the truth about as we open up. God's word together. So uh, with that, we are in John here for one more time, and we get to look at this wonderful passage of Jesus. Judas just betrayed him. Judas has left the scene. Now Jesus is here with his disciples, and he's talking to the true disciples for the first time in his entire three-year ministry. Okay, now you guys are the ones that are with me, and it's you guys are with me. So this passage applies to followers of Jesus. If someone invited you and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, you still want to lean in and listen to kind of how Jesus interacts with us. But this passage is written to the followers of Jesus. This is a big deal for us to sit in this and listen to this. It's written to the church. And it's interesting. I was uh, out in the East Valley the other day and a friend of mine who goes to another redemption said, man, your, ch- your church is doing so good. I'm like, why do you say that? She's like, oh, Instagram. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> She's like, it just looks really good. Like, I'm like, ah, that's the bar for church. I like it. We just had to have. So Audrey, thank you. She runs a great Instagram account. All I said at the beginning is, I don't want to see pictures of me. I don't, uh, churches that just have the preacher every week, it's like, come on. We see that all the time. I, so she's done a good job, and we're doing great because our Instagram says we are doing awesome. But this passage gets to the heart of, like, how are we really doing? Like, I used to be a math teacher, and then I was a youth pastor. So I was always in the, what Jimmy, Jimmy's world is the world I just left, of just families, teenagers, all that sort of stuff. And a big thing that always came to my table, which wasn't very, like, spiritual or what I expect as a youth pastor, but was school choice. Like, how do I make a choice for my kid on school? Because you have public school option, you have private school option, you have a 1,000 charter schools options, you have homeschool. Like, Arizona is the mecca of school choice. And people would come to me, like, you taught... And you taught at some really rough schools, right? Like, how would you, uh, how would you tell me to t- pick a school? And I would say the same thing. And it's not very scientific, but it's how my mind and my brain and my gut work. I'd say, go walk around the school. How's it feel? I'd be like, I came to you for that. I'm, I'm trusting my kids to you, and that's what the best you have. Go walk around the school. And I meant it. Like, what's the vibe of the school? Like, how warm does it feel? Because I taught at schools that were failing by all the standards that people were shouting about. And you went there, and it was a great vibe. How's the vibe? And I remember me and Aubrey went to go see our school. We just left in Chandler Humphrey when our oldest was starting kindergarten. And we were in that, like, what are we going to pick? A charter school. We got four charter school options. We got this public school right in our neighborhood. And we went to the public school, and we loved it. Why? Because it had a great vibe. Specifically, Mr. Hickey. Like, the principal is just a great guy. Like, everybody wants to be around him. It's just this magnetic force. We picked it because it had a good vibe. And we were right. And we were just at a funeral, actually, yesterday from one of my son's family friends, a little girl, three-year-old that passed away. Um, And her big sister went to Humphrey as well. She doesn't go anymore, hasn't gone for a while. Mr. Hickey has not been the principal at Humphrey for a while either. But we're sitting in this funeral service in South Phoenix, and there is Mr. Hickey loving his students that haven't been at a school for years. Our vibe, whatever we picked up on was spot on. There's something good about this guy in the school. 
And that's kind of what Jesus is wanting us to do is zero in. As we think about being the church, there's a million things we can make be our, our thing, our vibe. We're about truth. And he's going to talk about truth, and truth matters. But as he starts to set the stage for you guys, you 11 are going to be the key to this world. Here's what you need to be about. He focuses on one thing, love. Love. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And that's our passage. And I get love is sort of a junk chore term that means everything, and it means nothing all at the same time. But the God of the universe put it here for us to encounter. So we're going to sit in this text and just talk through love today. So I want to pray and ask God to meet us through these verses, especially verse 34 and 35. God, we've heard this message if we've been in church. God, we can recite a lot of these verses. God, we, we could probably finish a lot of what I'm going to say today in this room. But are we living it? That's a question we can only get when we're honest and the Spirit shows up and we listen. So God, just help us to hear from you. Help us to be honest with ourselves. And help us to just be reminded of the simple command you gave us as your followers and what, what implications that would have on the world. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's where I'm going I'm, I'm to camp out mainly on verse 34, 35. I'm going to hit the other verses towards the end. But we're going to be talking about love and specifically six lessons of love that we get from this sermon here. But just so you know the kind of outline. Verse 31, 32, Emily just read it. Jesus, Judas just leaves the room. So Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, even Judas. He did this most beautiful act of sacrificial love and washing. He took the form of a slave, washed them, and then they're laying around having the last supper together eating. And he says, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. He whispers to one disciple. He says, it's going to be the guy I give the food to. He gives it to Judas. Judas looks at him. Jesus says, Satan, whatever you're going to do, get it done. Judas now leaves, and now we're in this moment here. So when he had gone out, Judas had gone out, Jesus says this, verse 31, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. There's a lot of glory. Translation, I came to do this simple thing, to glorify God, and I've done it. And there's at once, there's one more thing left on the task list. It's the cross. But what I came to do, I came to glorify my Father. My Father has glorified me, and now we are mutually glorifying each other. That has happened, and there's one more thing left on the docket. It's the cross. He doesn't say that, but it's implied in there. And then verse 33, just so you know, I'm leaving. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I will say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Next thing he says, and I'm leaving now. I did what I came to do. I glorified the Father. I'm leaving now. Verse 34, 35, we're going to camp out. I want you to know, here's this, love one another. And then in the most beautiful, just this is how life works, you got bonehead. Peter's like, hey, wait a second, where are you going? (laughs) Verse 36, I love this guy. We got a few Peters here. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I had a Nacho Libra accent, and I don't know if Peter would sound like Nacho Libra. (laughs) Why can't I follow you now? 
I will lay down my life for you. Verse 38. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. That's just a great passage of like how humanity works, just our quickness to speak. And in the minute, Jesus wanted us to get this thing. Remember this, love. So six lessons on love. Here's the first one we're going to see. Love is a command. Let's camp out on verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. Let's pause right there. Like it's not a love talk. It's not a love open mic night. It's not a love suggestion. Like after, you know, the mask mandate went away and then all these businesses trying to decide the language they're going to use, required, and then a thousand other ways to say you make the decision and some level of guilt placed on you based off what decision you highly recommended, mostly recommended. I, I highly, highly suggest what Jesus isn't like highly suggesting anything. He's not putting in our court to, I'll, let you, I'll give you the information you decide. The Lord of the universe is saying, this is a commandment. And he doesn't throw out a lot. Like, I, I love doing premarital ministry because you kind of help couples think through the future. And I don't give a lot of commands in there. I've given one command, and it was disobeyed greatly by your boy Chandler Cruz. <laughs> I said, Chandler, I'll, the only advice, the only thing I'll tell you with absolute certainty is whatever you do, do not get a pet before you have kids. And the other day I see him, he's like, bro, I got three kittens. I'm like, I commanded you. Kids are going to take away all your freedoms like that. Just enjoy the, gosh. Jesus says, I command you. Like, let's just sit in that after the laughter. This is a command. And just like as a reminder, as you read the Bible, like, Do you ever get to commands and stop, like a sign outside saying mask required, and make it sit with you? And then as you walk through the door, you're going to decide whether to obey that command or to disobey that command. Jesus saying, love is a command. It's interesting. But why why do we even need commands? Like, that seems like a not very romantic way to talk about love. I command you to love me, wife. The commands are here because they line up with God's character primarily. That's what we need to understand. Any command that comes out of Scripture comes out of the heart of God first. Here's the other thing that we kind of tend to avoid. The other reason they're there is because they are commanding things that aren't natural to us. Nowhere in here will you say, breathe. I command you to breathe. I command you to eat. I command you to Anything that's supernatural to us, selfishness, whatever is eating, breathing, thinking about myself all day long, he does not have to command because we do it naturally. What he has to command is what does not come natural to us. So he says love. And the third thing about commands is they benefit us, although not in a way that we always necessarily see. So just love is a command. Jesus, our Lord, is commanding us to love one another. That's a commandment from here. He's our Lord. He's the authority. Now here, as I've been thinking about this, in just the life of the church, like I want to pause and just say, this command isn't necessarily all that needed right now. Like we're in the dating season, and we really like like each other. 
And even like as I hear about great stories about people being authentic and opening up and like, oh, yeah, I love all that. But like we haven't reached the point where the authenticity and the jump coming, junk coming out is like disagreements and conflict within the relationships in this place. It's like, yeah, my dad sucks. Yeah, be more authentic. Well, and my mom sucks too. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I like how authentic. And my neighbors suck. Yeah, they all suck. Hey, I just want to be really authentic. You kind of suck. <laughs> we haven't hit that yet. We got the engagement ring on. We're happy. We're skipping down the aisle like we're Jake Evans months ago. And then you stumble into marriage. <laughs> You're like, wait. And then you open the Bible says you got to command love because it's not the dating season always. So let's enjoy the season. I'm not saying, like, let's find some issues quick. But, like, a church is this organic family, and we're in a great season. We should enjoy it for what it is. But just write this down. We're going to need the command at some point. We're going to. Just how it works. Some other questions, just to kind of see if this is bubbling up at all. Is there anyone in this church, your RC, your serving team, that's just a little bit hard for you to be around. Just a little, just even a smidge. Jesus says, I command you to love one another. So there's already like soil where this can be developed. Is there anyone whose views on big issues are completely different than yours right now in this room? Just as the pastor, I'll say absolutely 100% yes, that's happening. That's opportunity to take Jesus at his word as he's given this church the marching orders. Love one another. Even that guy, yes, especially that guy. Even her, yes, especially her. Love is a command. It's more than that, though. Second thing we see about love, love has this new standard. See, the command of love is not new. It's not new to the Bible. It's been there before. It's not new to culture. It's everywhere. Love has a new standard, though. And I was trying to think through, like, what are the standards for love that are menu options for us in this world we live in right now. So I was trying to think of just, and this is hard to do, as I think about the world, kind of out there, not like a boogeyman sort of way, but just the waters we swim in every day. Like what is love defined as? What's the standard? What's the thing we got to attain to if we're going to be loving by society standards? I wrote a few things down. You got the affirmation path. You must affirm everything about me or else you are not loving. That's, that's just it. You got the tribalism love. It's love looks like loyalty to one's tribe. Period. We can see how that's going in this country. Like, come on. I talked with a friend the other day who's like, he's a public school teacher. He's like, I love being a public school teacher because I am forced to be around people that I fundamentally disagree with. And I then go home and deal with parents and siblings and family members that have vocations in life that keep them insulated. And they have just learned their tribe and that's their thing. And I get to be around all the tribes. And that's a good thing he's saying. I don't know how to (laughs) best describe it. I call it the PC gone wild love. Love is whatever political correctness checkbox, 100 lists, you got to check them all. And if you miss one of them, you're not loving. Canceled. You didn't. It's like, you can like, I hope you like sense the air is heavy. That's the air we live in. 
It's like uh, one of my best friends lives in Fresno and the big fires in California. I think it was last year. I was talking to him. He's like, you can't even go outside. You can't breathe. That's the culture we live in that's claiming love. It feels like this air you can't actually breathe in because it's not a great standard of love. It's just suffocating. And this is for all, especially young single ladies in the room. The bar is so low, so we don't expect much love. Like I've talked to multiple single dating ladies on just what a terrible time it is to be dating. The girl that cut my hair, she claims Christ, and I was talking about dating, and she's like she just keeps lowering her bar because she's like, it's the only option I have. Why? Because the love out there is like such a low bar, especially if you're a single lady, and especially if your single lady has any sort of like conviction or desire to have a higher bar for you or for your life. So that's the world we're offered. I summed it up well. I will love you if you love me. That's the world out there. Those all can get summed up into what's in it for me? Then I'll think about loving you. But what about the Bible? The Bible has a different standard prior to this moment here. Love has always been a command. It's always been there. It's, what's new now is the standard by which Jesus calls us to love. But look, if you look at Leviticus, it says this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. Matthew 22, somebody asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see the thread? What's the golden rule? Treat others as you want to be treated. So the prior standard was love as you want to be loved, which is a better standard than what the world offers. I'll give it that. But now Jesus comes in and raises the bar like, it's no longer love as you want to be loved. I'm not to be a husband to Aubrey and just think through, well, what would I want in this situation? And then kind of reverse engineer and give her what I would want in this situation, which is essentially the summary of all those. We are to love like Jesus has loved us. A new commandment I give to you. You love one another just as I have loved you. The third standard, Jesus standard, the church's standard. I will love you like Jesus loved me. That's impossible. It's not suffocating like the world we live in, but it's an impossible standard. But it's the standard Jesus puts before us. And what's crazy is I'm reading this. This is before the cross even. Like this is especially true after the cross. Love me like I laid my life down for you. But it's also true in this moment. Like I've been loving you these last three years of my life. Love like that. I just washed your feet. I listened to all your stories. I bore with you. I was patient with you. I was kind with you. Love like that. Love like Jesus loves. Like they used to have those bracelets, WWJD. And the more I'm studying the Gospels, I'm like, they were onto something. Like, yeah, we should think like that. What would Jesus do? I made fun of him in the late 90s, and I'm like, bring him back. <laughs> WWJD or how would Jesus love? HWJL, uh, less catchy. What would Jesus do? His life, as I summarize, like, how does Jesus love us? His life does this, shows us how love acts. Like, you get to watch love personified. 
And his death shows us how love feels. As we choose to love others, it's going to feel like death to self. The rom-coms and the teenage dream of <laughs> just skipping through life exists on movies and in teenage minds nowhere else. Love feels like death. It's like, I got to make a decision. My will or love, which is death to my will, for the sake of this person. And in this context, it's for the sake of Christians in this room. WWJD. Love like Jesus. Love. Here's the third thing we see, though. Love must be received. It says, just as I have loved you. Discipleship is passing on what Jesus has given to us is a decent definition. A lot of times that's a very mechanical, like, well, Bible study, yes, that's part of it, and how to pray, yes, that's part of it, and uh, spiritual disciplines, yes, and theological foundation, yes, all those are good. But at the core, if there's not like, I want to pass on the love I have for Jesus to this other person. The Pharisees started passing on stuff that wasn't tethered to a love of Jesus and Yahweh. We want to pass on love. Have you received this love given to you by Jesus? Because I think about this church, and we think about serving fair, and I want you guys to sign up. Sure, I want all that. I want this church to be healthy. But I also want people to realize you can only give what you have. Like, you can only pour out your cup. You can't fill other people's cups. So, like, if, is your, how's your cup as far as feeling, experiencing, living in the reality of the love of Jesus? If it's full, you should be pouring it out. If it's empty, you should be in spots where somebody is filling you up. That's the church. Have you received the love of Jesus? I remember the first time I told my wife I love her. Like, I didn't say that. I dated, and I never dropped the L word. And then I meet this girl. I'm like, dude, all right, get all this. All right, well, you can do this. All right, all right, you can do this. And we're hanging out one night, and I said, I just want you to know. And she looked at me and she said, I know. <laughs> like, I've never done this before, but I don't know if that's how that was supposed to go. <laughs> Later, it's like she knew I loved her based off how I was treating her up to that point. Like, Jesus says, I love you. Can you say in this moment, I know? I know. And some of you, just be honest with yourself, say, I can't. And that's fine. Like, I get it. We're never going to get anywhere as a church if we start faking stuff, especially some as intimate and vulnerable as a question like, do you feel the love of Jesus right now? Have you experienced the love of Jesus? I'll ask it two ways. Have you experienced that for the first time? Meaning, have you come to faith in Jesus? I have a friend whose teenage daughter grew up in the church, is around church stuff all the time, just... Dad's always at church, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She's in her house one day listening to the song, Scandal of Grace. Scandal of Grace, you died in my place so my soul can live. And in that moment, the girl falls in love with Jesus. Why? Because it was personal. You, Jesus, died in my place. And everything, has that happened for you? I was talking to one of the young intern types. 
talking about testimony. She says, well, I kind of was in church, dabbled, da-da-da-da-da. But then one time this girl just told me, hey, Jesus died for you. Like, has that happened? Like, Jesus did this for you. That's called coming to faith, receiving that love for the first time. But then also I would ask you, have you received Jesus' love in any fresh ways recently? Like, 18 years old, I come to faith. I, I experience the love of Jesus for the first time. Now, if I don't have other testimonies along the way, my cup is empty. But like, what recently? Like, for me, it was two Mondays ago. I was looking out ahead of my week. I'm like, gosh, I... This is a lot. I'm preaching, got men's retreat, Cody's sick, uh, all this stuff. I signed up for this other thing I shouldn't have signed up for. I'm like, gosh. I, and I remember journaling on Monday morning. God, at the end of all this, I just want proof that you were with me. God be with me. That was my prayer. And at the end, God was with me. My preaching, like a few different people said the most poignant, like encouraging stuff. It's like that only happened because God showed up. He was with me. Have you experienced the love of Jesus recently? Here's the next thing. Number four, love is the vibe of the church. What do I mean by that? He is speaking to followers of Jesus. Love is the vibe of the church. He is talking to 11 now disciples. Judas is gone. He is talking to them. And he says, you love one another. Should we love everyone? Yes. Does the Bible command us to love foreigners and immigrants and the vulnerable and uh, widows and orphans? Yes. But the Bible also has this incredible way to zero in on this, the people of God, and say, you figure it out in here first, too. Love one another. In fact, there's 59 passages in the New Testament that have the tagline, one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Do this to one another. This is a church activity. Love one another. If you're in RC, I'm going to send out questions to the RC leaders that have all these one another passages. But Tim Keller has a helpful way. He kind of breaks it. He says, I see three categories here. The church is to affirm. The church is to share. And the church is to serve. And if you look at all those one others, it's some sort of affirmation, some sort of serving, or some sort of sharing. For example, I just went Romans 12 Here's an example of affirming. 12.10. Honor one another. Like, when's the last time you had something inside of you that was honorable to someone else and you shared it with them? Privately, publicly, through text, whatever. Like, I'm not going to create laws on how to honor one another. The Bible just says, make sure you're honoring one another. You know what the world needs? The church that, like, has really learned how to honor one another. And they leave that melee that is the world where they're eating each other alive and they come in here and like, what is this place where they're like lifting each other up? Amazing. Here's what James says this. He says the sort of negative, don't show favoritism to one another. Like we are, we are going to have sort of natural tendencies to be around people that like certain things. At some point, it becomes a sin, and it's called favoritism, and we need to just be on the lookout for it as the church. Here's the other one. In sharing, 1 Peter says this, offer hospitality to one another. Offer hospitality to one another. We do this so well, and a lot of this message is like, I already see this in this church. It's not a matter of I see the opposite. It's I want to just cultivate this and freeze this and say, hey, this is what we want to be like. Offer hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4.9. 
Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens. In other words, share each other's burdens. Like we all have burdens in life. There's kind of two words in the Greek. There's like a normal backpack, like you can handle that, purse size. And then burdens is like there's rocks in it. Like we have some moments in here, some families going through some heavy rock situations. And we should carry burdens of one another. And then if we look at the serve, how do we serve one another? James says this, pray for one another as you confess your sins to one another. One of the best ways you can serve one another is praying. In your RC, in this moment with Joe and the prayer team, but praying for one another. Like there's some people that can go six, seven days in a week trudging through life and not want someone taps them on the shoulder and say, hey, can I pray for you? The church is the spot where that stops and we get to offer that gift to people. Galatians 5.13 summarizes it this way. It just says, serve one another. Just serve. So as you think about joining a serving team and getting, like, think about it as this. You're serving one another. Is it going to be in your wheelhouse, your sweet spot? Maybe, but maybe not. Serve. Why? Because Jesus says, I command you to love one another. And then he gave us 59 one another's. We're like, I don't know. When the 60th shows up, then I'll follow that one. It's like, oh, he gave us 59. That's a good list. We don't need any more. And as I think about church, just relationships in general, but specifically the church, like it's a two-way street. You affirming, you being affirmed. You sharing, you being shared with. You serving, you being served. So a lot of people, kind of heavier conscience people, this isn't me, my wife kind of falls in it. She's like, am I doing the right thing? I don't think that way. I'm like, yeah, whatever that is. It's guilt, it's not good, whatever it is. But some people want to do right. And want, they always feel like they're the ones that need to offer more, serve more. But the church is like this healthy give and take, back and forth. So I wrote down, who in this church is currently affirming you? When you have answers to that question, I think you're getting in a good place in this church. On the flip side, who in this church are you affirming, encouraging, lifting up, praying for? Who in this church is sharing with you time, money, whatever it may be? Who is sharing with you? Who is opening up their home to you? And then on the flip side, who are you sharing with? Like, and not say, ah, ah, but like specific names. I'm sharing with this person. That's the church. And then finally, who in this church are you serving? And who is serving you? Love one another. Here's 59 ways to love one another according to Scripture. Why does Jesus tell us to love one another, at least according to this passage? He gives a very clear reason. Love one another because, leads us to number five, it is a sign to the world. If you love one another, the world will know you are my disciples. We are making this switch in John. We are leaving the first part where Jesus does all the signs, and now he's strictly in boot camp mode. He is training his disciples for his immediate departure, and he starts to use the world all the time. The world, the world, the world. I'm preparing you, 11, for the world. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Notice it doesn't say, it, by your love for one another, they will trust me. It doesn't give us this high of a bar in return for what we're offering to the world. Our love for one another doesn't guarantee faith commitments. Doesn't guarantee a lot. It just says, if you love one another, they will know you belong to me. That's a beautiful thing. 
It takes the pressure off us. We don't have to seal the deal. We just need to take God at his word seriously. And he says, love one another. And if you do, the world will know that you belong to me. I think one of the hard things being in church for so long now, going on 15, 20 years, is I start to kind of look at it through jaded, cynical eyes. But as purest form, church offers this to people. I can think of Aubrey, my wife, joining this small group in college, and this couple opened up their home, and it was like this thing to just see this normal marriage. She saw the love for one another, and she's like, I want that. I remember this girl, Trinity, at the old youth group I used to run. Totally not from a Christian background, had no idea about God, the Bible, couldn't tell you how many commandments there were, couldn't tell you anything. But she showed up, she got invited by a friend, she's like, what is this place? Like, why? She's like, like all these married people like each other. And like the boys here treat me better. She was giving this. If you love one another, the world will know you belong to someone different than the world. If you love one another, the world will know that you are mine. Why do we love one another? Because the world needs to know who we belong to. And it takes us to our sixth point. It also tells us that love will never, ever balance out. What do I mean by that? Just even in this story, it's an interesting contrast of verse 31, 32. Remember, I read it before. I'm going to read it again just real quick. But Jesus talking about him. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. What is glory? There's a lot of ways to think about light or weight are usually the best ways. I like to think of weight. Glory is weight. I am the weightiness of God. Everything you want to know about God, you can see in me. And it's this weightiness, this substance. The most substantive thing in the universe is Jesus Christ. And he is here. The glory has arrived and even more is coming. The cross is just down the road. The glory is here. The weight has arrived. Jesus says, love one another. And then it ends, verse 36. Simon Peter, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter, shut your mouth. Verse 37, I got to say it. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus is just straight up. Will you? Lay down your life for me. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. How does this passage begin? With the weight of God seen in the loving person of Jesus Christ, who's about to do the most glorious thing this world will ever see, the cross and resurrection. And then this passage ends with Peter. I will do it too. You won't make it through the night until a rooster crows three times and shows you that you are silly in this commitment. Like one of my favorite memes, I think it started in 2020. How it started, how it's going. So this was one that, this is the first image of, this is how it started. I feel like this is, you office fans, you know where this is going. This is how it started. Like, yeah, the glory of God, Jesus, he will die for you. How it's going. Chilly everywhere. Why? Because love will never balance. Here's what I love about Peter. I think he really does sincerely, deeply, passionately love Jesus. Even, especially in this moment. Like a lot of us in this room, we love Jesus. 
We really do. But as we try to weight it compared to the weight of God, it's never going to balance out. God's love for us is always going to win out. Jesus is always going to be the hero of the story, and we're going to be laying in our chili, or we're going to be listening to a rooster crow for the third time, reminding us like, oh, I messed it up again. But that's the gospel. We are always going to mess up. Our sin is always going to get in the way. We are always going to have this much aspiration and this much follow through. Always. With our wives, with our kids, with our church, with this passage. All right. Josh said love one another because John said love one another. All right. I'm going to love one another. I'm going to go right to that person that kind of bugs me a little bit. And you're going to make it four seconds into that conversation. (laughs) We do not bank our existence on our ability to love God and to love others. We bank our whole reality on this, that Jesus' love far outweighs anything we could ever offer. It is glorious, it is beautiful, it is substantial, and it is perfectly offered to us in this room. As I have loved you. That's the gospel. He did the work. We stumbled and dropped the chili. And we are supposed to get up, clean ourselves off by his grace, and go try to do it again. But we're going to be proved true and true again that we are not the heroes of the story Jesus is. Jesus says this, love one another just as I have loved you. I wrote this, we are never going to tip the scales remotely close to being even. But we can live out of this abundance of love we've received from Jesus coming for us in our sin. And we can then in a very imperfect, insufficient way move towards one another and try to live out this verse, love one another as I have loved you. Amen? This is the church. This is what we're after. This is our aim. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for clear teachings. Thank you for even commandments. I even often forget of all the commandments that still apply and sit as I think about my own walk with you. So God, make this a life-giving commandment because of what it's rooted in. We are to love as you have loved us. We are not to love so that you love us. We are to love like you have loved us. And that's our foundation. That's what we're banking everything on, that your love outweighs ours. And our sin has been covered up by the weight and glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.